Welcome to Taki Talk, podcast for the media by us. Joining me today is Brent. Hello. DJ. Hello. Oh, Chris. Hey. And I'm David. And uh, like I said, we're Taki Talk. <laughs> we're going to talk about what we've been watching in the past week. Uh, maybe go into a little bit of film news, maybe a little reality roundup, and uh, a sneak peek into what's coming into home theaters the following weekend. I like that of you just like, like doing the intro and then being like, hey, this is like I said, Talky Talk, the podcast for the media by us. Please follow us all to just ending the podcast there. <laughs> just a greeting and outro. That'd be a very efficient podcast. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you end the recording, but we just still talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so as to not lie in your intro, we did, we did say we were going to talk about it and we did talk about it. Exactly. Well, does anyone want to go first with what they've been watching the previous week? I'll jump in. I watched uh, two movies I want to talk about. Uh, Cass had had made it known while we were watching uh, another movie that she had never seen the 1994 action movie Speed somehow. So I spent $3 and we rented Speed. And it's still amazing. They jump the shark so many times, but every time is worth it. Um, and then I found out a bunch of like weird fun facts about Speed that I never knew before. Uh, that it was nominated for three Oscars and won two, which I, I did not know. It won for uh, sound effects editing and best sound. It was nominated for film editing. Wow. In 94, when film editing was like a thing. <laughs> um, also, I think it might be the biggest jump in Rotten Tomatoes score from one movie to a sequel ever. It's 94% for the original and 4% for the sequel. I mean, 90 sick. points, it's a, it's a big jump. I don't know. I can't. I, was try, I racked my brain last night trying to find another like first movie and sequel that would be that that yeah. different and could not come up with one. Do y'all have any ideas? No, I'm just remembering that I saw the sequel in the theaters. I think we both did, Chris. Yeah. Speed 2, Cruise Control. It's, the stakes are way lower when it's like, this boat can't go so slow. And it's like, boats seem like they're going slow no matter what speed they're traveling at, unless they're like literally flying across the water. Like, how was it not a speedboat, too? It's, it's sitting right there for them. So uh, I did also realize, as you mentioned speedboat, Sandra Bullock was not the only person to reprise her role from the original in Speed 2 Cruise Control. Hmm. The uh, black gentleman who gets his car hijacked by Keanu Reeves in the beginning gets his speedboat hijacked in the beginning of Speed 2 Cruise Control by Sandra Bullock's new boyfriend, uh, which is fucking amazing. Uh, but my favorite fact about, about speed that I learned was, uh, the, the movie was kind of in developmental hell for a while. And this guy brought in, uh, the movie didn't really have any dialogue. The guy was just like, bus fast, can't go slow. And studio was like, yes, we're, <laughs> it sounds amazing. Um, uh, but they needed dialogue and they brought in this young guy who the studio exec said was the, uh, dialogue doctor who wrote 99% of the dialogue. And that was Josh Whedon. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he came in and he was like, 
you need a he pretty much wrote the whole elevator scene because he said that you needed Keanu Reeves' character to be able to prove early that he was clever enough and not like an idiot Keanu Reeves um, mm-hmm. to be able to to beat the villain. And also immediately said the villain needed a uh, saying and came up with um, pop quiz hot shot like on day one of writing, which is yeah, <laughs> it's, it's iconic now. Yeah, right. We're all saying it. Um. But yeah, apparently Joss Whedon came in and kind of saved that movie, which I had no idea that was the case. Uh, apparently also originally Jeff Daniels' character was like in on it the whole time with Dennis Hopper's character. And Joss Whedon was just like, no, 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 no. We've got Dennis Hopper. That's enough. <laughs> I still feel it's like... too unbalanced if it's Dennis Hopper and Jeff Daniels. I feel like whenever I rewatch that movie, I'm still suspicious of Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I had a, a, a reconnection with the line of dialogue that confused nine-year-old TJ the most, which is, don't get dead, which is said in the movie like five times. <laughs> and I, was, I remember like having a conversation with my dad and being like, is that, what, is that how you say that? And he was like, no, it's like slang. And I was like, yeah, but that sounds more proper than the way you're supposed to say it. <laughs> That's not how slang works. Um, but... Yeah, I rewatched Speed. It was a lot of fun. Uh, apparently, the two first choices for Sandra Bullock's character were Halle Berry. Makes sense. I can see that. And then Ellen DeGeneres, who declined. Huh. Ellen yeah. declined. So yeah. she had, like, right of refusal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, must keep going. Must keep going. <laughs> yeah, and then the list of people in the article I read about uh, who they wanted for uh, Jack Trevin was, like, yeah, you, I bet you wanted all these people in 1994. It was Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Wesley Snipes, and Woody Harrelson. It's like, yeah, you just picked the four most famous people in 94. And they all said no, and then you got Keanu Reeves. That was like the default top five for any movie, and you got to keep it's a different movie. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, well, a bunch of other shit, like, I mean, that I just never knew that Keanu Reeves did his own stunt in the beginning when he jumped from the car to the bus and – he did it against studio orders explicitly, um, but wanted to do it anyway. Uh, he was like best friends with River Phoenix, who died in the middle of shooting, and they had to like cancel production for a few days because Keanu Reeves just refused to come to the shoot. Hmm. Um, they actually the bus they in the shoot the gap scene they digitally altered the removal of the road so there wasn't a gap there, but they did jump a bus sixty feet. <laughs> with a ramp which later got proven to be impossible by Mythbusters so there's some contention there yeah <laughs> um Mythbusters is 100% accurate right <laughs> right yeah it's like if we can't do it it can't be done <laughs> exactly um, yeah but I don't know it was an interesting read there's a bunch of interesting shit that was going on with Speed which I did not know there was anything neat going on with that movie um, but as well as speed, I watched a 2020 release that I know at least uh, a couple of y'all watched, but I watched Sonic the Hedgehog, um, which some were calling the best video game movie of all time. And my response to that is maybe, <laughs> I don't know. They're all pretty crappy. So it's possible. Um, the movie was cute. I thought I, I could, the movie reeked of being in developmental hell for a long time. It was just a mess at times like the editing was a mess yeah um, but 
the writing was cute and the hedgehog didn't look creepy anymore, so that was a bonus. Release the creepy cut. Uh, it still looked <laughs> creepy. I mean, that's true, but it didn't look like demonic, I guess. Mm. Who else watched it? I know TJ and I watched it. Did, did... I, I also watched it. Uh, okay. I almost had it all watch. I haven't watched it yet, but I want to. I mean, you posted in, in our Slack. You were like, hey, I watched this 2020 movie, and I really liked it, and it's like this movie that everybody should watch. And I came into the chat like, no, nah, I'm watching Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what did y'all so, think about, about Sonic, Brent, Chris? Um, so... I thought it was fine. Like it's a, it's, it's clearly, I think it, I think it is aiming for uh, kind of, I don't know what, maybe 11 year olds or so. Is, is that the, the target for this movie? It's aiming for intergalactic hedgehogs. <laughs> That's its target demographic. I think it's you're aiming right. for golden rings. Is Sonic still really popular with kids? Or is it? Or would Sonic be more popular with like our generation? Sonic is still popular with kids. Okay, yeah. so maybe that's the right vein for them to go. It's, there, it is. There, there is like a cartoon series which is like really highly lauded uh, for like children's entertainment. And, and he uh, was in all those like mixed universe games on the Wii and Wii U and all that. Yeah. So I guess it, it's a kids movie that's that's not bad for a kids movie. It's just that like. When you when I've seen kids movies that are also like really really fun for adults, that's where it's just like well I wish it were that but it's not it's just a kids movie that's fun for kids. Yeah, this movie I attempted that a couple times and succeeded one or two times, I think. I mean I laughed really hard when the government general came and gave him Olive Garden gift card at the end. I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, I, I the turtle gag was pretty funny. I like that. Yeah. yeah, there were there were a few there were a few good jokes in the movie. Um, there were just uh, many more attempted. <laughs> oh yeah, this is this is like a a a a hit percentage of like less than like ten percent. Um, but I mean, I I really think that this movie um, like dies completely without Ben Schwartz. Ben Schwartz is like that is always going to be from now on, like the voice that I think of when I think of Sonic. It was, he was just perfect for it. He's a good choice. Plus, yeah. yeah. Um, and Jim Carrey as Robotnik, one of the scenes that did really hit with me was his impromptu dance scene when he's doing the analysis on the uh, the hedgehog quill. I thought it was really funny. It was pretty good. Yeah. Carrey, was, Carrey was good. He's a, a fine choice there. Um, and I feel like Marston is a good choice because you just want the most vanilla fucking dude. Yeah. To play opposite Sonic, you know what I mean? That's him. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Carrey at the beginning was kind of a throwback to like 90s Jim Jim Carrey movies. Yeah. Like a, a little bit of Ace Ventura in that performance. Oh man, talk about the beginning of the movie with Jim Carrey though. The one part that made me realize this movie just got edited to death was when Neil McDonough was probably like the fourth most famous person. It was in the movie for two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was really weird to see him and then not see him again ever. It's like, oh man, I'm pretty sure he filmed a lot of scenes for this movie. <laughs> They're all on the floor somewhere. Yeah, there's probably a whole subplot about like, well, Robotnik's pursuing them, but then also so the, so is the military. And they just like, 
were like, it's too confusing or whatever. And let's just do the, like the goofy mustache man. To be fair, I think they made the right choice. Not nothing against Neil McDonough, but I, I just think that the, where this movie kind of loses some steam is I think in the Sonic versus Robotnik aspect of it all. I think it, it kind of works best as a buddy like comedy sort of as a buddy road trip movie. And the more time you get to spend with Sonic and uh, I don't know, the guy's name isn't important. He's just a, he, like you said, he's a piece of cardboard riding alongside Sonic. Officer for, Normal. His name is yeah. Tom. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> um, and I think that's when the movie is at its strongest. Uh, and so I'm kind of glad they didn't try to add more to the, to the army angle. Yeah. I, there were just so many weird angles there were. Sorry, Chris, but like her sister who was just like obsessed with her getting a divorce. It's like, wow, this guy's great. <laughs> He's like the nicest guy ever. I thought, I thought that ruled though. There was like a couple of jokes from that that just like really killed. Like when she's tied up and she tells her, her daughter, like, at least put my Fitbit on. That is one of the best jokes of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that they, this, this definitely feels like a script that went through like a couple professional comedians hands for like comedic punch-ups. Um, because there's like, there's those jokes that are kind of weird and out of nowhere and seem like in, in, uh, you know, like a really capable like improvist, uh, hands would like be able to be like ad-libbed. But you know that with like such an overproduced movie, there's no way that there was any improvisation. So it just makes me think that like there was probably like buckets of reshoots, especially after they announced that they were like, well, we have to like retool the graphics on the main character. That like kind of opens the door back up to like, well, is there anything else we need to do while we've got this like, you know, insane thing we have to do? Because this is an insane thing that they had to do. Mm -hmm. Like, that's like, I almost want to say that the movie succeeds despite that because like I don't like I'll 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 pitch it to you guys as a question because I'm you know not as tuned in but like has this ever happened where like a movie was teased in trailers and then they were like no 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 the reception is so bad uh, fuck this movie fix it before it even comes out because like that is a crazy hurdle then I, know I think. That did a great job, like despite all the backlash. It commonly happens with test audiences, but this I don't know the test audience of the world. Yeah, like how yeah. did this get past the test audiences? Is what I'm, what my big question is because normally this would be the kind of thing that they catch, and they usually well, get rewrite endings and that sort of thing. From what I read, they caught it, and uh, production on the. Um, not the Sega side, who's the on the Paramount side, uh, was like, fans will reject it if we change it. And Sega was like, no, they're going to demand you change it. It's like awful. And, and apparently Sega was like obsessed with the eyes. But apparently there was some, some back and forth with execs about if it should be changed or not. And then when the trailer came out and everybody was like, oh my God, it's fucking awful. Paramount back down. I wonder if they were like, well, let's just put out the trailer and we'll see what audience reactions are. And they put it out and they just didn't realize, because like, diehard Sonic fans are insane. Like, they're actually insane. The, <laughs> yeah. like, they, the they amount... All the other, like, Sonic buddies. Yeah. 
are there's a lot of like there's like a bat and there's all kinds of like extra characters that people are encyclopedic about that are very very uh alarming yeah there's like knowledge it feels like the like the the cesspool of the internet where there's the most like disgusting hand-drawn pornography uh, is from the Sonic community. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, so releasing a Sonic that doesn't jive with their like erotic fan fiction is really going to fuck up their world. Man, I love that. Originally, this was going to be Paul Rudd, and then when he backed out, they got James Marsden. It's like, yep, that's a poor man's Paul Rudd right there. James Marsden. When you can't make all your payments on a Paul Rudd, <laughs> you get you get to trade down to a James Marsden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a weird. It was a weird watch, but it was it was cute. I think kids would like it, and it wasn't like garbage. That's the big takeaway I had. I was like, oh, this wasn't horrible. Yeah, it's a perfectly average movie, which makes it one of the greatest video game movies <laughs> of all time. Yep. I, how, does I it, do, how does it compare to a similar mix of CGI and real world in last year's best video game ever title holder, Detective Pikachu? It is not as good as Detective Pikachu. Yeah, no. Detective Pikachu is much better. <laughs> and the animation is much better. But yes, that's also yes. like a really that's that's like really difficult to compare them because like I said before, I have a lot of compassion for the animators on the Sonic project because mm-hmm. like their last like how however long they spent building the first Sonic and then building the second Sonic, like, that uh, just sucks. Yeah. And I mean, I like some of the stuff they did with the, I mean, I played the hell out of those video games. I think the Sega Genesis was like the second console I had when it came out and uh, played it just constantly. And I don't think I ever touched our Nintendo really again, but like, I thought it was pretty funny that the way he defeats Robotnik is just by getting into the ball and hitting the ship a bunch. Cause that's what you do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, kind of clever and cute and they did it in a way that at least had some like clout you know what i mean yeah but yeah there were a couple things like that a couple of like nods to the the games like when he drops his bag of rings it makes the sound effect like that kind of thing um did anyone stick around for the post credit scene or the mid credit scene i did not stick around for the post credit scene because the mid credit scene made me roll my eyes back into my bedroom and fall asleep (laughs) What was the was the mid credit scene? Was the tails right? Yeah, that's that's what I was talking about. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like the most. Kelly looks at me like there's there's a thing there's like a, a ring opening and she's like oh who's the girl one and I was like I don't I was, uh, she's like no who is it I'm like it's Amy she's like okay, well, who's that and then tails comes out I'm like oh okay yeah, that makes sense and she's like do you think there's gonna be a sequel it's like I don't fucking know. I don't know how any movie studio right now is quantifying success at all. So, <laughs> well, that's what me, me and Cass had a good chuckle when the movie came on and you got that Sega like studios yeah. graphic and they, they put a lot of work into that. And I was like, Oh, this is in case this works. <laughs> they really made a thing. Yeah. I noticed that too. And I, I was like, Oh, is this a, is this a thing now? Cause I hope so, bro. I hope so. <laughs> It's like, what are they going to do next? Golden Axe? Like, Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> Toe like Jam and Earl. Scales into Dreams. 
Soul Caliber, the movie. Pan- Panzer Dragoon. But yeah, it, it it is funny that like it starts off with, it starts off on a frame of like the original Sonic, and I was like, oh, they're gonna show all the Sonic games through the years, and that, like that's a cool little intro to this movie, uh, like a collage of all the Sonic games. But instead, there's like a uh, Yakuza or something on there, and I was like, well, this is different. I didn't know Sonic was in this game, and then it took me a li- it took more Sega games for me to realize, oh, this is just a uh, they're just they're just wanting us to remember Sega. Yeah, don't forget Sega, please. Is it kind of like a low rent version of the Marvel logo that flashes yes. through all the comics? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's exactly what they're doing. I, I really think that they blew it. Like they should have taken one of their like two older like Sega designs and done either, like the the digital voice doing the Sega that thing, yeah. or like the guy who just went Sega. <laughs> either one of those, it would have been like that just like nostalgic hit at the beginning of the movie that you'd be like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. That's such a satisfying sound, though. The Sega. What a miss. I really would have loved if their, their thing would have just been like the Sega font and just. <laughs> that would have been, been, been amazing. The, the, the new headline for the Sonic movie is that it kills some people at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's all I watched. Hey, I want to jump in and just say that that's all I watch, too. Um, I watch the Sonic movie. I do want to say um, I am <clears throat> Brent, because you and your wife have poisoned my household, uh, have uh, gotten into the sixth series of Love Island. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. And we're about, like, 30 episodes in. And I want to say... So, like, halfway. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who is uh, watching that that series, I think it's the sixth series. I'm pretty sure it's the sixth series. Um, Sorry. Uh, They, it is the, um, yeah, it's the sixth series. It is secretly the uh, worst and the best. Um, (laughs) It starts off so poorly and so like, I don't know. It's it's just like you just don't give a shit about any of them and none of them are interesting. And then about the halfway point, it becomes the best season. There is like actual like because Brent, I don't know how much you've watched of it, but it always gets to a certain point in the season where like you know who's gonna win. Mm-hmm. Like and not that 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 winning is what matters, but like that helps you kind of contextualize like who's going home, who's coming in, and just like the general drama of the season. Um, and so it's just not like super interesting at a point, like, you know, like that first season, like, you know, that Jonathan and, uh, what's her name? The Playboy Bunny. Okay. Well, like these people exit my mind as that <laughs> almost instantly, apparently. Yeah. But like, H- but Hannah? Like, yes. Like, like, you know, immediately that like, like, it's not a spoiler, even if you've only seen one episode of the first series of Love Island. Like, you know they're going to win. Um, and they, like, try to edit it in a way that seems like they have, like, these, like, relationship problems. But, like, they, they don't. They're just, like, idiots who, like, argue and yell at each other. But they're still going to win. Um, but this this last, this this series is the, uh, the most interesting with that respect, where you just, like, have no idea. Some of, like, the couples who you think are really strong end up, like making these like wild, you know, 
decisions and like leave each other and come back together. And it's like actually interesting uh, as opposed to um, the series five, series five. That's what it is. Not series six. Um, But I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't fault you for. <laughs> I mean, I've watched four hundred episodes of TV. Yeah, I think I've. If I'm in, yeah, about like two hundred and fifty episodes of this show. So Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, Your island is more Love Canal than Love Island right now. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to to kind of give an update as to where I'm at in the Love Island uh, uh, marooning. Um, I'm still, I'm still, still in it. Um, so that's the low island update. I'm impressed. We've been, we've been tempted to join, but haven't done that dip yet because that'll be the only thing we ever watch. Probably Chris is like, stay away, don't do it. I mean, we're at the point where because we're in the fifth series, we only have one more left, which was a shorter season, which they filmed in 2020 called Love Island Winter, and it was filmed in South Africa. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's a it's like a shorter season and so we're going to be like done with love island like for the foreseeable future after you know the string of suicides around the show um kind of halted production and then you know the pandemic halting production so i think that we're going to start watching old seasons of survivor after love island because that's another thing where we can just watch 400 episodes of something yeah when you do, uh, let me know, and I might just watch along with you. All right. We might pick seasons just, like, at random, so that might, like, bake your noodle a little bit. I know that's not how you watch things, but... No, it's... Uh, in fact, uh, Ashley and I just recently... So, uh, with the conclusion of Winners at War, she was kind of in the mood to just keep watching Survivor at a slow pace, and so we... She told me to pick a season that would have someone she recognized from Winners at War and uh that would be pretty entertaining and so weirdly enough i picked another returnee season which is partial at least which is uh fans versus favorites it's season 16 um but it's uh it's got parvati and uh sari and a bunch of other it's a really fun season so so i i get like bouncing around it it makes some sense um the teens are a good place to start because very old school Survivor feels really dated by comparison. And and watching some like YouTube clips from back then, it was like buck wild. Back like in really early Survivor was just like they're like I don't know, we don't know what to do with these people. We don't really have like a structure yet for the season, or like a way that like a narrative arc is supposed to go. Like there's a guy who just like pulls his penis out and like tries to get people to look at it because he thinks it's gonna fall off, but really it's just like he's got diaper rash and it's just a moron. He threatens to kill somebody later on, but like everyone's oh, fine with it. Yeah, that guy is super entertaining. In fact, if I, it, I, I would almost suggest starting with that season, <laughs> season twelve. Um, that's a that's a great starting point. Um, it, yeah, uh, that's also the guy who um, that season was in Panama, and they uh, a, a brick of cocaine washed up on the beach, and he tried to cut into it and go to town before production had to like pull him off it <laughs> the sea giveth and the sea taketh away that was his <laughs> this is how he's gonna outlast <laughs> his confessionals are like seven hours long <laughs> yeah but i was really inspired because like you know around like 
around the Winners at War finale, there's always been this like kind of quiet, uh, sorry, not quiet, but like limited but loud like audience uh, voice that has been saying like, it's not a true season. Like it's not a true like best of like greatest of all time season unless Russell Hans is there. And so like, I had to go back to see like what Russell, Han- I mean, Russell Hans himself says he's the greatest of all time, even now <laughs> right. on his like internet show. So like, I just had to go see, and I found out why he's never going to be on Survivor again, because he sued CBS and Survivor. <laughs> um, and so at that point, you don't put that guy back on your show. Um, but, you know, I tried to go back and like watch some of the Russell Hand stuff. So that got me interested in like maybe checking out some older seasons. So I think, and I was like playing it in the office when Kelly was in here and she was like, hey, if you want to watch old seasons of Survivor, I'd be down. And I was like, all right. Season 12 is also, I think, the first, it, it, it's the first season, like, if you're watching, I don't know what you're watching on. If it's, if it's Prime, it's, like, the first season that is after, like, the, where it starts the continuity, basically. Like, uh, Amazon has seasons, like, 1, 5, and then it's, like, 12 through 30-something. Mm-hmm. And uh, 12 is a really funny season. It's got Shane, who's just, I mean, the guy stopped smoking the day he went on survivor so there's that added yeah. to his story as well um but yeah he he, he does tell a character he does tell an, a character he does tell another contestant that uh he's gonna go murder them after the show's over <laughs> yeah um, and it's a it's a really funny season it's it's hilarious yeah uh, his whole uh, thing like i'm gonna drive over to your shitty apartment and murder you and she goes my apartment's not shitty <laughs> That's the thing she yeah. really focused on. Chris, did you get to watch Russell Hance tell Jeff and all of America that Survivor's not fair? Or did you watch that clip? I didn't watch that. I only watched okay. the in-game stuff. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you can you can see his face. Like, when they're reading the votes, both of the times he makes the final three. Yeah. And, like, as soon as they hit, like, that number, like, you can kind of see that he hasn't done them, like, figured the math out yet. And then they'll like read another one for another contestant's name, and you just slowly see him like, like when everyone like stands up to give hugs, like he doesn't. Yeah. Like it takes him like a solid five count to like really register that like, dude, you can't be a fucking asshole to everyone and yeah. win. Like his, people his don't want to give you a million dollars. His first season, he just doesn't think jury management is even part of the game, like yeah. at all. He he just thinks it's irrelevant. In the second season, and also like he doesn't. He thinks that, like, it doesn't matter who he goes to the end with. It just doesn't matter. In his second season, he at least acknowledges that it, it does matter who he goes to the end with. But he's just – he proves to be remarkably bad at figuring out who he can get votes against because he's just – it's, like, two episodes away from the end, and he's like, I'm definitely taking Sandra. Nobody's voting for Sandra. I'll get all the votes over Sandra. And he gets no votes over Sandra. Right. Yeah, he takes Sandra and Parvati, like, like two of the like best like quiet game players. Yeah, and he plays this big lab game. I guess maybe that was his thought that like people would value his big lab gameplay over their like subdued like machinations. But like, no fucking way. There's right. no history book that will write that person's story as triumph over the others. Oh, but yeah. So we're gonna get into it. Nice. After like this past Wednesday without Survivor was really rough, especially it's basically like the, the major sport that was going on. Right, this yeah. thing was was that, 
and then you know the challenge of course but uh, I'd, I'd love to also maybe check out some old seasons they'd be like prequels at this point of like the standalone parvity prequel like why does everyone consider that she's really good considering she's so good she was out early in the winners at war do the parvity prequel <laughs> yeah well well david you know you, you were talking about reality is like the the sports now you know that uh that johnny bananas and wes have like been out in public saying like ESPN should be showing old seasons of the challenge because it is like, it is like the most watched like sport right now. <clears throat> oh yeah. hundred percent. I was flipping through channels, which I feel like I'd never do anymore, but CBS sports was showing uh, a challenge season. <laughs> I was like, why not? It's awesome. Sorry, I kind of took this watch list way off course. So if we want to get back on, we can hear from what Brent and David have been watching. The watch list goes where it goes, Chris. No apologies. <laughs> I'll, I'll, go, I'll go next. Um, I watched, uh, on top of Sonic the Hedgehog, I watched uh, a couple other 2020 movies that I will briefly discuss. I watched Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I watched that recently, too. That movie was okay. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was... I, I liked the action scenes. I thought they were well choreographed. 100%. And, and I thought the way the camera kind of moved from, like, these people fighting to these people fighting to these other people fighting. I thought that was kind of fun and pretty cool. Um, as for the story, I think this... I think, I think it's just sort of a run-of-the-mill uh, comic book plot, and it's this movie really badly wants to be Deadpool, like yeah. the Deadpool of the DCEU. And I think, I think it, it has the tone of Deadpool down, but it just doesn't have the, the actual jokes of Deadpool down. And that's the, that's the unfortunate thing about the movie. I think the tone is right. It's, it's very irreverent, but I just don't think it's that funny. Yeah. Um, the dialogue, the dialogue is pretty, pretty unbearable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one thing that you have in Deadpool that you don't have in, in Harley Quinn, blah, 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 is the, uh, there's a lot of self-deprecating kind of self, like, uh, aware jokes that are made in Deadpool that are really funny for like adults who realize that, you know, these superhero movies are like ridiculous that like you really don't have in Harley Quinn still takes itself really seriously despite trying to be a comedic movie and it doesn't work. I think they're, 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 they're walking this tightrope and they really should just follow the comedy like space. Yeah. It's, and it's a shame too. I, I, I kind of, I kind of like the cast. I, I think it's, it's pretty good. And I think, I don't think anybody's really given a bad performance, even like you and McGregor's like weird over the top uh, thing where he just little, will sort of launch into random screaming fits. Well, it, it kind of works, but it, at the same time, it's just the, the whole story. It was hard for me to really care a whole lot about what happened. Um, yeah. But it's, I don't know. It, it's a, it's fairly average. Um, pro, so for the DCEU, fairly above average. Yeah. This is like the video game movie talk. This might be the best DCEU movie and it's because it's okay. Um, it was the the third ever DC movie, not DCEU movie, but DC movie to be rated R. That's interesting. 
Didn't didn't really take advantage full advantage of the R rating like I thought it would have. I mean, I feel like you learned that lesson from like Logan and Deadpool that like you can really kind of have fun with a rated R uh, with an R rating, and they just they felt like they were pulling punches. Like, like this is you got in the way or something. The, I don't know the, what happened. The first DC movie that was rated R also had the same issue, I would think, which was Constantine. I mean, it was pretty good, but it didn't really take advantage of the R rating. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just scary as hell at times. Yeah. Uh, the other DC property that was rated R was Watchmen, which. Oh. Yeah. Which does. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, what? How did they even earn the R rating here? It's just some. It's just some excessive violence, I guess, but not like not really grotesque or gory violence, but just just a lot of killing, I guess, and also f bombs here and there. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there's like some. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure there's like some sexier moments. You know what I mean? Maybe not. I don't know. It's probably not nothing. Pro- probably nothing worse than was in Suicide Squad, which was rated PG-13. So not that sexy of a movie. Like it's not. There's no like. And I think that that was probably deliberate because they, you know, yes, yeah, the type of movie they were making. But uh, and that's not where we're, I think Brent or I are saying they should have pushed the R rating. But like, you know, it just didn't it felt like wasted. I felt like this movie would have made enough money as a PG thirteen if they cut the F bombs and maybe not zoom in so close on the knee cracking. And uh <laughs> Owie. Yeah. It just yeah. Yeah, the the even the F bombs, they sort of feel just sort of like there's no like meaning behind them. It's just like, oh, well, let's just here. Here's a page without the f word. So let's just throw let's just throw it in. It almost feels like they were inserted after the fact. Um, so I don't know. It was weird, but it's a. Uh, eh, if you really like the character, I'm sure you'll you'll enjoy the movie enough to justify watching it. But not Mr. really J. a highlight. Yeah, not really a highlight for me. Uh, as opposed to another 2020 movie that I watched that was a highlight for me. And this is a movie I watched on Netflix called The Half of It. Yay. Yay. I watched that too. Um, is this, I, I don't know how new this movie is. Have you got, when did you guys watch it? It came out on May 1st. Okay. Um, I, I was, I, it's yet another, yet another Netflix movie about a uh, Netflix bringing back the, the 80s trope of uh, teens with a scheme, uh, you know, a romantic scheme of some sort. Uh, and I was really worried for about the first third of the movie that it was just going to kind of just go down the same path as all these other movies tend to do. Um, but it really surprised me. It's a really intelligent movie and it's a really soulful movie. And I really, I really enjoyed um uh, the dynamics between the three main characters in the movie, uh, particularly the um, the kind of unexpected way I think things evolve between the um, the the main girl and and the guy who hires her. Um, t- is it me or do movie teens have way much more money than normal teens do when it comes to being able to hire their friends for uh, for for you know, schemes and plots and whatnot. So in this movie, she, uh, this girl writes essays for her classmates and gets paid to do so. And she um, writes, or at least this, uh, this one neighbor, I think, uh, hires her to write a romantic, 
romantic love notes to a girl he likes and um yeah that's a lot of disposable income for teens it's it's, it's up there with uh, all these other movies that have similar plots to me <laughs> yeah but yeah, i really liked it last week's podcast chris i think chris and i talked about it we had both seen it and we're both kind of on the same same page as you as it, it was kind of a uh welcome surprise that it was as uh you know well observed as it was and i particularly loved the uh the the atmosphere was was really good always like a pacific northwest kind of uh setting i think it used it really well rather than just generic california or generic you know big city suburb mr chu's second voracious bite of taco sausage might be like one of my favorite moments of the year in the <laughs> It's just that very quiet, just very hungry second bite. But yeah, I really like that movie. It's one of my favorite movies that I've seen this year. Um, yeah. So, and it really, I will. I think it pays off at the beginning. It says the ending is not what you think it's going to be, and it, uh, you know, it isn't. It's kind of more. Um, nothing in that's really that naturalistic, but more of a natural outcome, I guess. To the more realistic, I guess. I was laughing when Brent was like, I came into this and I thought it might be like your run of the mill love story. And I like pulled up the Wikipedia page for it. And the poster on the Wikipedia page says a different kind of love story. <laughs> I was like, Oh, Brandon was right there on the poster. Well, no, like, like they just said it. It's, it's, they, the movie starts with, this is not a love story or, you know, this is right. But it's, I don't know, 30 minutes into it. I was like, I don't know. It's looking a lot like a lot of these other movies <laughs> I've watched. Um, but man, yeah, I really like the second half of that movie uh, just a ton. So um, I will add my recommendation to to y'all's. Well, cool. I'll I'll check it out. Maybe that'll be the first 2020 movie we've all seen. Unless David watches Sonic. It was Sonic 2020. Yeah, yeah. Watch Sonic, you coward. <laughs> Dang, I I will. I'm gonna wait for Harriet to watch it with us because she likes attempting to play the first level of Sonic. <laughs> there's a really good at the beginning of the movie i really like his uh his original home planet and how closely it looks to the video game yeah yeah with with randomly crumbling uh <laughs> yeah land masses and stuff, yeah. Yeah. yeah built in loop-de-loops what about you david or brent are you done i'm done I saw um, three other 2020 movies we haven't talked about. Wow. This uh, no home theater or no public theater thing is a real boon to my getting a head start on 2020 movies. Yeah. Usually I start watching them in like November <laughs> when the good ones are out. <laughs> um, I'll tell you where the first one, uh, first one I saw was on Netflix. It was what we talked about last week as in some what to watch. Um, I said I wanted to watch The Lovebirds. That's the uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae starring movie directed by Michael Showalter. Um, you know, it's a couple that accidentally wanders into a, this is all in the, the kind of preview for it. They wander into being an, implicated in a murder and start to uncover a, you know, criminal conspiracy and they bumble from clue to clue, you know, just not being good at that kind of thing, but humorous. And, uh, I was pretty pretty lukewarm on it. Having really wanted wanted to like it, liking, you know, all three of those members of that triumvirate of comedy there. Um, 
ends up being sometimes with action comedies is they can maybe, I don't know if it's an action comedy. Maybe it's like a, it's midnight runish kind of like thriller comedy where they're taking the piss out of, you know, uncovering clues. This guy's out to get him. He murders a bunch of people. You know, we got to clear our name. You know, all of a sudden we're starting to parody eyes wide shut. That happens in the movie. Whoa. It kind of, uh, it lost focus on the comedy and the, uh, the real, I think chemistry that Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae have at the beginning of the movie, when they lay the foundation for their relationship, they kind of have their meet cute. And then it's a smash cut to four years later and they're still in a relationship, but now they have problems. Um, it's some, uh, some good, uh, good observational humor there. And, you know, I'm all, I was, I've been a fan of Kumail Nanjiani for such a long time that he's, he's real good in it. Um, I just think the movie really squanders uh, the potential of this movie and the potential of the uh, captive audience that's out there that could have made this kind of a Netflix phenomenon like everyone's got to see the lovebirds. Especially with who Issa Rae and Camille would bring in. You know what I mean? Like a totally different group of people. Um, And she's obviously got uh, an ear for what she should, should be in. I mean, I think... She was the voice of the mom in Hair Love, which was like a, one of our favorite animated shorts last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the photograph is something I've been wanting to see because I'm also in love with Lakeith Stanfield. And that movie's gotten pretty good reviews. Um, so it's a, disappointing. I wanted to like it too. I'll probably still give it a watch. but Yeah, it could have just been, uh, you know, we kind of, we the, the wife and I saw it as kind of a, a date night last night. And it was just, you know. It just didn't deliver for us. We found ourselves, you know, the death of both a, a thriller and a comedy and a comedy thriller is boredom. And we were bored by a good bit of it. Yeah. Kind of. should watch Speed. Focus. <laughs> yeah. Speed, speed's good. Or Sonic. Sonic's pretty good. Hey, so, yeah. so, so are you are you standing here willing to admit that you were wrong when you recommended this movie? <laughs> yeah. I was wrong. The, it looked like you were uh, licking a quill, Chris, when you were doing whatever you are doing there. You were about to make a note. Are you willing to admit you're wrong? <laughs> <laughs> right in the public ledger. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I was wrong. I'll have to check out. <clears throat> well, we don't know that yet. We, have, we haven't seen the other one yet, whatever we all said. That's true. I think the other one was the horror movie Inheritance. I've not seen that one to confirm or deny that it's the right recommendation, but um, yeah. Lovebirds could have been better. I was bored by it. Um, what else you watch? Another Netflix movie I saw was uh, <clears throat> saw a documentary that came out of uh, some film festival with a lot of buzz of an early um, best documentary nominee, I mean, if the Oscars happen this year, that is. I saw Crip Camp. Have you guys heard of uh, Crip Camp documentary on Netflix? I've come across it on Netflix, but it, that's about all I know about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a documentary about a a camp that's about fifty miles outside Woodstock, um, in New York, that uh, catered to. This was in the uh, late sixties, early seventies, catering to people with disabilities that have, you know, different requirements, but still getting to have a summer camp experience of, you know, bonding around campfires, having, you know, summer camp romances and just getting to live kind of a normal life, um, which was definitely not the norm if you had disabilities in the late sixties. 
Um, it's very. Yeah, this, it's sorry. Go ahead. Oh, this is the second Higher Grounds production, right? The Obama's production company. Yeah, after American Factory. Yeah, that was their first one. Um, it's a very educational style um, documentary. It kind of tells you a lot of what happened. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of the uh, disabled rights activism throughout the 70s and 80s that I knew next to nothing about. And was pretty, pretty eye-opening um, about pushing for protection under the uh, Civil Rights Act for people with disabilities and access to buildings, access to basically what we all take for granted. A lot of that was really, uh, really interesting. They just so happened in this camp. One of the guys was a uh, kind of a sound designer and, and filmmaker. And he went to that camp with someone, her name's Judy Human, who was a leading activist in the nation for disabled rights. And uh, wow. it's, it's a, it's real interesting, but it's, it's mainly, it's mainly just you kind of telling you, things that happened. I don't think it, the best documentaries for me kind of, they jump the telling you stuff into being such a interesting experience. Like either they take on a narrative format or they kind of blow your mind a little bit. This is not going to blow your mind. It's going to let you know kind of what happened in it. So it's, it's pretty good and it's, it's pretty touching. There's this one story of someone with, uh, I think it's spina bifida that, just telling a experience about what it was like back in the days is she had like, she was in her twenties and had stomach pain and had to go to the ER and they unnecessarily removed her appendix because they didn't even look for or see if she actually had gonorrhea, which she had, she was a sexually active person with disability and they didn't never even considered, you know, her a full human like that to even check for that. And they go into New York, um, asylums for people with disability and it's uh it's pretty pretty intense the the treatment and lack of uh resources that those kind of places had um so it, it's pretty moving and if you don't know a lot about the those that movement um you'd, you'd learn a lot I, I just don't think it jumps the category of like mind blower for me right um and then the last movie i saw um it's probably one of my favorite 2020 so far. I saw Blow the Man Down. Um, it's available on Prime. It's a directorial debut of two um, of a, a, a female writing and directing duo. It's set in Maine, and there's a um, there's a murder that happens in a uh, small fishing town, and it's kind of a Fargo style, definitely Coen Brothers influenced. Um, tale about how do they cover it up? You know, there's a active cop who is actually competent amongst a bunch of cops who'd rather just, you know, exist and keep the status quo, you know, very Fargo-ish in that format. Um, it's kind of like a gender-swapped Fargo, though. The people at the center of the crime are these two sisters who are both, uh, I forgot their names, but they're kind of uh, newcomers and they're excellent actresses. And uh, the cop is this uh, greenhorn, kind of, kind of fresh to the force guy who actually tries to solve a crime. And it's, uh, I think it's really good. Again, points for a uh, sense of place being in a main fishing town. It's really, uh, 
really gets you there. You got to you got to kind of leapfrog a bunch of Boston style accents to tell what's going on. <laughs> the best part of it is it has a uh, um, Margot Martindale in it in full. She is like a almost crime boss in the film, and which is great for like unbridled. Uh, Margot Martindale overpowering people, and she's nice. just such a yeah, she's such an underrated actress. Um, highly recommend it. Oh, the other thing, it's it's definitely very it's a lot of stylish um, maneuvers in the movie, especially impressive for a, uh, uh, a debut for these screenwriters. There's kind of a Greek chorus of there'll be a scene and then there'd be like four old school main fishermen just start singing a sea shanty, like in the middle of the scene <laughs> of the audience that kind of like threads throughout the movie. Kind of like, um, there's something about Mary. You got the, uh, John yeah, yeah. Rickman doing his, like the, uh, you know, the playing music along to it. That's kind of what they do with some sea shanties that tie into the story. These guys will just like appear on rocks and go, Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> just, start, just start wailing. So definitely some um, magical realism touches here and there. Well, I'm sold. That sounds fun. I thought it was uh, at the very least interesting, and at the very least it, it surprised me. It's very confident and stylish debut, and be really looking forward to seeing what these filmmakers do next. But blow the man down. Sweet. Right. Anything else, David? I got nothing else. Um, so I think that concludes the watch list. If I'm right, I think that's everybody. Yep. All right. So before going to the next segment, um, we should probably say things that you can do to help the podcast. Definitely subscribe to the podcast and your podcatcher of choice now, including Spotify. Um, yeah. Subscribing helps and uh, writing reviews. Five stars also helps. You can also uh, interact with us. We got our Facebook page, Facebook groups, TVs by us, TV by us, movies by us, games by us. Um, you can also email us at the media, the media by us at gmail.com. We got our Twitter at the media by us. And uh, yeah, those are things you can do to help us. Let your friends know about us and uh, subscribe and review. Sweet. Yeah. Moving on to Breezy. Blah, 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 Breezy. Breezy, unless anyone's got Reality Roundup. I don't know about you, Chris. I'm still watching both Top Chef and The Challenge. Nothing too crazy other than, are you caught up on The Challenge? Yes, yes, I am. Okay. So the only interesting thing, I think, from last week's episode was the uh, the Jordan elimination as a result of the uh, Bananas and Wes uh kind of power grab that they kind of did, which was really interesting. I really yeah. are getting to see the strategy of both those guys coming together. It's really satisfying to watch them game plan out and figure things out. Both and very actually be able to execute. People. Yeah. Big, big fan of this season so far. Yeah. And even they were like, this is like a little mean and it kind of hurts our soul. But in a pole wrestling competition, you know, where two people hold on to a pole and whoever lets go first loses, uh, they put in uh, Jordan, who has one completely capable hand, and his other hand, he is missing 
uh, four fingers. So he has he can only do it with one hand against this rookie. And they're both like, yeah, we feel like the worst people in the world, but we're doing this to get rid of Jordan. <laughs> the one challenge Jordan really can't do with right. one hand. Yeah, Jordan, who is probably like the odds-on favorite to win in any head-to-head elimination, um, they kind of had this sweet opportunity, and they had to take it, or else he was going to win and come back. Yeah, yeah. Punches, punches ticket to the final. I mean, he's even won a rope pull with uh, you know against this big burly dude, having using only with the use of one hand. He's he's very clever at getting around it, but this was just the one thing. There was not really a trick to it. It's brute force against brute force, and uh, yeah, you know, caught up with him. So any other uh, any other realities? There are no other realities. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that um, HBO now is is kind of. Changing name and format, Brent. You were telling me a lot about that earlier. That's going to drop. Uh, I think the day this podcast posts. But you want to spit yeah. on that a little more? It looks like another big um, player in the streaming game coming up. Yeah, and, and this probably will be a a pretty big one. I think they've got their ducks in a row more than say uh, Apple TV did when it launched. Uh, this is dropping on May twenty seventh, so today. Uh, if you're listening to this. Um, HBO Max is what it's called, and it is uh, it, it's it's weird. It's not it's not just HBO. HBO is just the name chosen because HBO is the is a really valuable branding uh, property for Warner Media, and this is Warner Media's uh, big foray into the streaming market. And it's going to cost fifteen dollars per month, I think, uh, for subscribers. I think you can get in right now at eleven ninety nine, but it's uh, it's gonna have. I think they're 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 saying that the catalog has a few thousand movies are already in, and it's gonna have uh, all HBO original content. And the uh, another big selling point for a lot of people is gonna be Friends, which is like one of the most uh, you know rewatched and streamed TV shows out there, and. Uh, Netflix no longer is going to have that. And so uh, HBO Max is basically the new, if you have HBO Now, which is the, um, the app only, it's just the, the, the streaming HBO service, then I think you automatically get access to HBO Max uh, because it's the same price point. It's a little slower for people who have, um, uh, who maybe subscribe to the to the live channels on their cable package, which uh, gets you HBO Go, but it uh, I, th- I think certain cable companies are gonna have already have a deal where you can have uh, access to HBO Max, but not not all. I know they're playing hardball with Comcast, so Xfinity and some of the others do not have it yet. So uh, it's it. it, it I think it has a lot of promise. Uh, one big selling point is it has the entire Studio Ghibli uh, collection, which has never been streaming before. Mm. But the other, the, the big problem right now, though, for HBO Max is they still don't have a deal, as far as I know, worked out where you can watch this on Roku devices or uh, Amazon Fire devices, which uh, those are the two big formats for TV watching. Uh, 
and so I'm not sure how they expect to really jump in and, and compete with Netflix and compete with Amazon Prime and compete with all the other, the, the other big players, which I think they have the catalog to do. But I don't know how they're exactly going to do that if they, if you have to cast it to your TV, uh, which not everyone does. I, I know that's a fairly easy thing to do for for a lot of people, but you want easy access to this. And if it's just on iPhones and iPads for now, that's not exactly a great opening salvo. Yeah, yeah, that's that's bizarre. Um, I'm. I'm Almost sure it'll be worked out by the time we drop this podcast. That just seems like a huge <laughs> fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially something like Roku, which doesn't really compete with it. Like it's, uh, you know, it's not unusual for these services. Well, there is a H- there's HBO now for Roku though, so I wonder if they're just yeah. like change that. You know what I mean? Yeah, or it could be like maybe they just have like. Um, some exclusivity with a certain device for a brief period or something. Like I know that's what uh, that's what Peacock is doing, which is uh, yeah. NBC Universal's uh, big streaming service, also launching this year. Uh, it's exclusive to Xfinity devices for yeah. the next two months, I think, and then it's either June or July when that one's going to uh, um, be available to the masses. But yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's weird, and and you're you're right. There very could very likely could be an announcement in the next uh, day or two between us recording this and the podcast going live that that they've worked something out. It would make sense for them to do so. Yes. Are they are they dropping with any original content? Because that's typically the uh, the the hammer of making a streaming service necessary or undeniable or needed. I mean, a back catalog is good and Friends is good. I guess for the me's of the world that if you already have HBO, you already have all HBO stuff. You know, you could go watch The Wire already on your HBO Go or on demand on HBO already. Um, like they, they uh, Disney had the, the promise of, or they already had the Mandalorian dropping. Um, Are one, you ready? I haven't really heard much of what HBO Max is. So... Is. The one thing that I've heard about that uh, kind of sounds interesting, I mean, it could be horrible, but it also could be decent, is uh, Matthew Reese is starring as uh, Perry Mason in a revival of Perry Mason on HBO Max, which, I don't know, he was, he was really good in The Americans, so uh, that could be that could be interesting. But it's not it's not exactly an all-star lineup of, of new content shows, but it's, it's, I don't know, it's something comparable to probably what Apple launched with. Or really Disney, by comparison, except it just doesn't have a Mandalorian. Well, Apple at least launched with the very buzzy morning show that's got, like, if you like Friends, we have Jennifer Aniston. If you like, like, you know, Little Big Lies, we have Reese Witherspoon. If you like, you know, whatever, we have Steve Carell. If you like The Office, there's at least kind of a draw. I mean, I don't, I don't know about the quality of that actual show, but they had the so it's looking like it's, it's looking like HBO Max will have some new Looney Tune content. Uh, for like kids, there's Adventure Time, Distant Lands is dropping in June. That's going to be original to HBO Max. Um, expecting Amy looks like a Disney show. There's a lot of kid stuff that's here. Uh, Love Life is a original film starring Anna Kendrick. That'll be HBO Max only. 
um, the not too late show with Elmo looks like it'll be adorable. Um, and there's some other stuff, Doom Patrol, the flat tenant, Gossip Girl is having some original content on HBO Max. So it looks like nothing quite as buzzworthy as Disney or Apple had, but they're at least throwing a bunch of shit out there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that will pay any amount of money they're told to watch new adventure time stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll see. I really take issue with the way that the Wikipedia article uh, listing the original programs planned for distribution by HBO Max starts. Uh, it says that HBO programs produced for HBO Max are dubbed Max Originals. They're divided into three categories, kids and family, millennials and Gen Z, and adult. It's like... Well, at least it sounds like they know what millennials are, which is a big step. <laughs> I think that also, I might be wrong about this, but I think they have like the entire like history of Sesame Street available on there. Yeah, they do. It's it's like all Looney Tunes, all Studio Ghibli, all Sesame Street. Um, like they're gonna have all Fresh Prince of Bel Air, all Big Bang Theory, Doctor Who will be on there. Um, Rick and Morty. It's so surprising who gets what like. Anthony, Anthony Bourdain's whole catalog will be on there. Like, there's some shit people will will watch. And those are those are more valuable for like the the rewatching and the, the streaming than a lot of shows are. Like, The yeah. Big Bang Theory is probably a, a hugely valuable property for yeah. for that. Yeah. I just wonder how that escapes CBS All Access. They didn't get that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know how that shit works. <laughs> Shows that started before people really, really understanding negotiating streaming rights are just interesting to me. Like, Peter right. doesn't have The Office. Right. What is that? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. <clears throat> Any other breezy notes, or y'all want to dip into the dub T dub? We could talk briefly about the uh, the Snyder Cut getting promised to be released. So hang just uh, to answer the question from or uh, not really a question, but uh, um, the Big Bang Theory, for example, is uh, it's produced by Warner um, and just sold to CBS for distribution. For distribution. So yeah. Warner, that, that's the way Warner's kind of always done it. I think they have a they produce a ton of TV shows and just uh, lease it to the to the networks mm. basically. So that's that's why I think it's it makes a lot of sense for Warner to finally cash in and just be like let's just sell this directly to the people. Yeah. But anyway, new topic. What were we talking about? Butthole cuts. <laughs> oh yeah. Fans now just demand a thing and they get it. That's the world we live in. <laughs> yeah. Entitlement is the new release schedule. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think well, any four of us are that excited about the Snyder Cut specifically, but it's definitely touching off a lot of uh, internet reaction about it actually actually happening. And is this, uh, I heard some analysis of this is like, is this coming out actually good for movies and good for audiences relationship to movies? I mean, we already touched on, you know, people didn't like the teaser for Sonic with good reason. And it was completely redone. And some minority of fanboys want a Zack Snyder cut and it comes out, you know. I mean, so, what's, the, what's the harm? That's kind I, of my stance on it. It's like, who gives a fuck? 
<laughs> they would spend thirty million dollars for these dudes. They could knock themselves out. Yeah, that's true. I, I I don't like the idea of like, I don't know, kowtowing to fans every whim and whatnot. But in this case, if it's kind of limited to this, I don't mind it all that much because there is a there was a situation that prevented him from being able to finish the movie he was hired to direct and that he worked on. Yeah. So he wasn't he wasn't fired. He didn't quit. Yeah. I, I, I kind of get right. it, but like th- at the same time though, I don't know if that's the, really the main motivation for people who are demanding it. I feel like a lot of people just didn't like the movie and they just want to demand uh, a different movie, which kind of, I don't know. People are certainly free to do whatever they want, but I don't know if I really approve of, of uh, that kind of reeks of rise of Skywalker a little, bit, which is just sort of, you know, let's just acquiesce to angry fans here and there. Um, but at the same time, like I really, if they would have released a different cut of rise of Skywalker, I wouldn't have, I mean, it doesn't change my viewing of the first movie at all. You know what I mean? They released 40 different versions of justice league. They're probably all going to be shitty. <laughs> and I'll, you know, watch or the like, ones I want to watch. Or like a dozen different versions of the original star Wars trilogy. Um, right. But like, <laughs> You know, there's there's there are people who are adamant that certain cuts are the definitive and best cuts, and I think that um, the, the 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 way that I see this as like, I guess irritating is that like, I think that that this is this is going to this is a bad look for the studio or production or whoever pushed the movie forward if this comes out. And, and is like, if the Snyder Cut comes out and everyone's like, oh my God, it's his magnum opus, it's a brilliant film, this four hour long, or in some circles, apparently this 12 hour long cut, um, you know, is like perfect. Then it's like, okay, well, it's it just looks really bad for the studio that pushed ahead despite these personal problems that a director was having. Um, I don't know. I, I, does, I don't, is there word on this? Did he have like ill will toward the studio? Cause I mean, even like, I get it. That situation was horrible for him, but like you also can't stop a movie of that size. Right. Like it's not possible. You know what I mean? That movie was going to get made and going to get released when it was going to get released. Cause you can't get Gal Gadot and Ben Affleck back. You know what I mean? Right. On a whim. I think I, think I remember in some interviews back in the day, he expressed some re- regret that he he wished like production could have suspended so he could have achieved his vision having shepherded you know a lot of the other ones but you know you you cannot stop a you know titanic style ship in the middle of the sea you know it's got to keep going right yeah it's definitely interesting i mean i'm curious as to what it will mean going forward um I'll probably wait and let the internet tell me if it's worth watching. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find myself in a camp of I'm mildly irritated by the news, kind of like Chris, but I can't really put my finger on it because on the one hand movies, you know, it's commerce. So, I mean, the fans have the final say, whether they go see something or want to see something, the things they want to see are movies that get greenlit. Like that's the inherent movie business. If right. you have a problem with that, then I don't know, go to an art gallery, but even art galleries or museums, <clears throat> people want to have, want to see it or not. I'm not- interested. 
I'm interested for one reason, and it's because you, you so rarely get the opportunity to have uh, two directors making the same movie with the same cast and the same like footage. And so I'd be interested to go back and compare them side by side to just, just sort of as an experiment, because it's kind of the only case we would have for, yeah. uh, for being able like- to do that. I think there's a Lars von Trier experimental thing, like the five obstructions where two directors do that same thing. Um, <clears throat> but that was like a, uh, I don't know, Lars von Trier thing. Yeah, so <laughs> not, a little weird. Maybe not on the same scale of like Batman <laughs> and Superman and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and also like a really petty point, I also am kind of annoyed by the news because I've seen movies that Zack Snyder has like written and directed and I don't like them. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like maybe like, you know, I, I want good movies to be released for people to watch, like just in general, I don't care what they're about. Right. Um, and so like when, when they're like, Oh, well it could be better. It's like, I don't know about that. I don't right. know how much better this could get. I think this has got like a, a pretty low ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, I've got my fingers crossed for all the people who love that shit, but uh, I am not holding my breath for it. Mm-hmm. I'll just hope that the, the fans of the original and then the fans of the Snyder Cut all realize that their mothers are all named Martha. <laughs> and so they should actually just agree and be on the same page. I love and that some, article. Somebody in one of our Facebook groups, maybe it was Alex, just in case he's listening, I'll have to but share that article. The like studio executives decided they should run like follow through with Snyder Cut after they all realized their, their mother's names are Martha. <laughs> it's really good. I'm on a like hypothetical tip, I think the true impact on this as you know what we would be interesting is gonna be impossible to see. Because there's an if there's a parallel universe that because Zack Snyder's getting thirty million dollars from Warner Brothers to achieve releasing and everything this Snyder cut you know that 30 million dollars could that have been used to fund some other property that would be something we'd be more interested in there's no way to ever know that that's a parallel parallel pathway of reality that an opportunity for a hypothetical movie that we will not experience because we're retreading ground that a kind of a vocal minority is really interested in well, if Zack Snyder gets to recut a movie uh, based in the DC universe, uh, based on how like grim dark those movies are, I think it is clear based on what your uh, what your last point was, David, that we are actually in the darkest timeline. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the end game now. Uh, all right, y'all want to hear what's coming out this weekend? We time we time for that. Time for that. Ready yes. for that? Um. Yes, we got a few things that are kind of interesting. Uh, a couple of directorial debuts, uh, Elfar Aldestein, uh, in a joint production out of Iceland and the U S a movie called end of sentence, which, uh, dropped in June of last year in Edinburgh, but, uh, is coming out, uh, this weekend VOD, uh, starring John Hawks, who we love and Logan Lerman, uh, uh, it looks like Hawks is picking up Lerman after being in prison for a little while and they are going to spread some uh, uh, the ashes of their deceased mother uh, on a coast to coast trip um, The High Note is also coming out uh, that's directed by Nisha Ganatra 
Uh, it is a romantic comedy starring Dakota Johnson, Tracy Ellen Ross, Zoe Chow, Bill Pullman, Eddie Izzard, and Ice Cube. So that's not getting picked. And then uh, The Vast of Night is probably my choice. It's a directorial debut by Andrew Patterson, starring Sierra McCormick and Gail Cronauer. Um, a switchboard operator and radio DJ are teenagers in New Mexico investigating a strange audio frequency coming through the radio. The film takes place over the course of one night in the 1950s with the story framed as an episode of Paradox Theater, a Twilight Zone style anthology television series. Uh, it is being compared to debuts by Richard Kelly and Christopher Nolan. It's got like a 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and an 8 on IMDb. Um, Rolling Stone and David Fear called it an ingenious debut of uh, the director. And AV Club gave it a, a huge review too. Um, so I think I'm going to watch that. The Vast of Night. It uh, won a bunch of awards at film festivals last year and is uh, coming out on Amazon Prime this weekend. I think I'll, I'll sign up for that one too. That sounds really interesting. And I have access to it. Yes, and I can watch it for free. <laughs> I like the same pick. I'll, uh, it, I don't know. When critics like a thing, I'm more likely to like it. So, yes. Yeah, I'll do that. And you guys all picked it. And I, I was fucking around with Zoom backgrounds like an idiot uh, while you were explaining all of them. So, I will <laughs> I'll sign on to that too. Cool. Well, let's all watch it and talk about it next weekend. Yeah. Hey, we don't have to do the uh, whole outro bit. <laughs> we, yeah. can just, we can just say bye. Thank you, Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers! Thank you, Burifa. Burifa! Bye, everybody. Thank you, guys. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I